You're listening to the Fabric Podcast with a special interview with Mark Sayers, lead pastor of Red Church Melbourne. Mark, it's so good to have you with us. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself for those in the room who don't know who you are? Yeah, so I'm, I'm Mark. I'm from Melbourne in Australia, uh, married to Trudy. I have Grace, who's my daughter, and twin boys, Billy and Hudson. Uh, I'm the senior pastor of Red Church. Uh, yeah, and written a few books, and yeah. Awesome. Tell us a bit about Red. I mean, you've been there for a, a while now. Yeah, I mean, you're so, on sabbatical right now. Yes. So Red was planted at a church called South Melbourne. So I came on as staff at South Melbourne in 2001. Uh, I took over as senior in 2009 of, of Red. Great. And what was your role before? Uh, I can't, we were having this conversation recently. I can't exactly remember what my role I started with. I think I just came on as junior member and yeah, slowly was the last one standing. <laughs> what would you say right now kind of God's been teaching you specifically in Red? Like what's he kind of stirring in your, in your heart as, the, as, the, as a senior leader there? What's he been teaching you through this last season? Yeah, I, I just feel like there's this incredible opportunity at the moment when a lot of people are afraid of where the culture is sort of going. I think there's this opportunity as the midst of the culture are pulled down. So how do you push into practices and following Jesus, but also then how do you push into an openness to the spirit? So the relationship between those two things, practices and spirit, I think there's a real power in those. Amazing. And what's that look like practically in your community? I mean, John Mark in a bit will unpack a little bit more for us in terms of practical discipleship and apprenticeship to Jesus, but in your community, what's that practically been looking like? Mm. So I think it's con- like practices are like contending in your own personal life, uh, spending time each day with Jesus, embracing those rhythms which have grown Christians throughout the centuries, allowing God's rhythms to set our time, not the rhythms of the, of the world and particularly our culture, which is so clever at setting them. Mm. And then as a group contending as corporately as a church, uh, we just feel this, this, this real call, my wife and I, to press into what God's asking us to do, to contend for our city, to contend for our church, to ask the Spirit to again blow through our church and our city. So Mark, we live in this time of great change, um, of upheaval, of pressures that we're feeling left, right and centre. From the youngest through to the oldest, we're, we're noticing change. We've got the Me Too movement, uh, with the Brexit. I mean, in Northern Ireland right now, we're constantly hearing on the news around what's going to happen with that, what's it going to look like with borders, no borders, what's, what's going to happen with Trump and everything that's going on in America. There's so many different things which we could list kind of endlessly in one sense of changes that are happening in society right now. What, what's your sense around what's happening and how do we think about that as, as a church? We'll talk a little bit more about that later on, but what, what is your sense that we need to be thinking through in this moment? I think we're living through this, this great disillusionment uh, that so many of the human institutions and creations that we could put our hope in from Hollywood to Silicon Valley to government to big business to the Australian cricket team have just had the, wool, you know, the rug pulled out from under them. We, what do you trust anymore? And so that can make us feel, I guess, both anxious, it can make us feel cynical, but we're not meant to put our, our hope in any of those things. That scripture talks about Christ humiliating all the powers uh, through his, his work of powerlessness on the cross. So I think we need to look at this moment scripturally that anything that humans could put their faith in apart from the Lordship of Jesus Christ is being exposed. So that's a moment of incredible crisis, but also incredible opportunity for the church. So in your book, Disappearing Church, which is uh, fantastic, but which looks at a whole number of different levels of culture, one of the, the, the sections in there looks at the first, second and third cultures. Could you unpack that a little bit for us? First cultures are, in a sense, you could almost call them pagan cultures. There's many gods, many spiritual forces in the world. Second cultures are monotheistic. They have a sacred scripture. This could be 
Christianity, Islam, Judaism. So much of our understanding of culture is from the missionary movements where Christians in the second culture were then taking the gospel to people in that first culture. The question arose, how do you do that without colonizing them? Uh, how do you do that without putting on them Western values? What's the gospel? What's the Western culture? Mm. We're in a new era where you have a third culture. A third culture is something which defines itself against the second culture. So when you're trying to do mission from the second culture to the third culture, it's a whole different ball game. The danger is not so much you colonizing the third culture, because the third culture is almost an anti-culture. It's cynical, it's deconstructive, it's disruptive. And in that sort of interface, the danger is we as the church get colonized by the cynicism, doubt, and deconstruction of the third culture. Talk about that a little bit more. I mean, I guess thinking specifically of what you've seen around the world. I mean, because, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit more in a moment, but in some of our minds, we would think of Northern Ireland as being, say, 20 years behind a Melbourne, a, a Portland, a London, that, that we, you know, we're holding on to a sense of Christendom. We're still keeping to the values. Uh, with the leaders gathering, we were just part of there. You spoke about walking around Lisbon and everything, for the most part, being shut on a Sunday morning and everyone going off to church. So there's still a sense in these lands of, Christendom is still alive and, and well, uh, in inverted commas, and, and we're still living through that, that moment, which from where you're from, you're, you're kind of 20 years ahead in some ways. Talk, talk about that a little bit and what you've kind of, I guess, sensed here. Yeah, you could, you could easily see in Northern Ireland how it almost feels like the American South. It's sort of lagging behind in that secularization process. But that's if you buy the secularization myth that the world inevitably is going to become irreligious, that it's going to slide towards this progressive utopia. But what's really interesting, and, and perhaps this is a reframing that people in Northern Ireland need to, to do, is that what if the last 40 years of sectarianism, of terrorism, of contested political spaces, of this fragmentation, this tribalism, that's actually what the world is moving into. And so the experience that you guys have had actually maybe prepares you for the reality of where the world is moving to. The myth of Silicon Valley was, let's all just get connected and we'll all become one giant, unified, global people. It's not turning out like that. And I actually think people in Northern Ireland have this distinct advantage that they understand tribalism. They understand what is to exist in a contested space. They understand fragmentation. So I think there's a tremendous advantage in there for you guys. You're listening to The Fabric Podcast. Fabric exists to gather influencers to be inspired and empowered to change the city where God has placed them. You can find out more at fabricconference.com. In Disciplined Church, I mean, this kind of links on to um, the first, second, and third cultures. Um, you spoke a little bit around, uh, around Gnosticism. Um, there's a quote here from your book which says, Believers who are emptied of the essential truths of Orthodox Christianity, who find themselves walking in step with the Gnostic tune of the day, find themselves becoming more spectral as their faith slowly disappears. Speak into that, linking in with the, this, this, the kind of idea of, of the third culture, the second culture being, um, being colonized. What, is, what does that look like? Yeah. So first of all, um, there's that sense of doubt is now the norm. Mm. It is now normal to doubt. And so Christians can be overcome with this sense of doubt. Secularism means that even the most ardent believer is assaulted by doubt. So that, that's part of it. The content of our faith is constantly ebbed away and eaten at. Um, there's always this temptation to sort of move into a post-Christian space where we deconstruct our faith to make it less irritable with the you know, general culture. There's less of a rub there. 
Also though, the sort of technological impulse of our day, the move away from tradition and authority means that we disincarnate our faith. We're less likely to attend church, to be part of an enfleshed human community, to be part of those practices. Um, but I think as the, that move is pushed upon us culturally, that means those things gain an added vibrancy. Scarcity breeds wealth. There's that element that it makes them worth more something, that they shine out more at this moment. So there's that move which is ebbing away at cultural Christianity. If you're not really in it for Jesus, it's going to be harder to be a Christian. But those who fully want to follow Jesus in flesh the incarnated Christian life, there's this incredible moment for us. Mm. A little phrase you use there, um, which might be something which is useful to unpack a little bit, is that is cultural Christianity. Yes. What, is, what does that look like? So there's an element where at high points of faith when a lot of people were Christian, you can just do Christian because it's easy to. It's like the cultural force pushes you towards belief. There was a, probably a stage, you know, maybe in the beginning of the century in Northern Ireland where everyone went to church on a Sunday. Just walking through Lisbon when all the shops are shut, uh, that's so different to Melbourne where the energy of the city pushes you to go to a cafe because they're all open, they're all amazing. Um, so cultural Christianity is when the cultural norms push you towards faith. That's disappearing. And so there's this thing now where Christianity is counter-cultural. Now I just think it's worth noting too that I think there's a, a stage soon when people will start reaching back for meaning. We're already seeing this. And there'll be a desire to grab onto perhaps cultural Christianity. Even in Eastern Europe, we're seeing that happening in places like Hungary and Poland. So there's going to be a return of cultural Christianity. I don't think it's going to go away, but there'll always be the true faith that we're called to, to following Jesus, not as a cultural form, but as a living relationship with Christ. Mm. I guess uh, something that's important for us to think through on a, on a I guess, a bigger church level is what, how do we start to process those pieces? So we've seen, you know, this, this idea of, of Gnosticism, of the rise of, of, of self and what I desire, um, talking around cultural Christianity, this, this idea of being colonized, and there's a sense that we could be colonized by the culture in which we operate in. And within all of that, to bring all of those conversations together, where is their hope? Is there hope? How do we start to operate as Christians within that, within all of those pressures? What does that look like? Martin Lloyd-Jones in 1959 wrote a book called Revival. And in that he said that he saw the force of secularism coming. He said, this is not like revivals of the past. This is the kind of, using the text from Mark's gospel, that this is the kind of almost demon of secularism that only comes out with prayer and fasting. So I think the force of this is going to force us back to Christ. And you see that happen at various points. Secularism isn't this thing where in 900 AD, everyone went to church, it's been a slow decline. The story of the church is actually, you know, peaks and troughs. And we're particularly at a low point. But it's at those low points when people are forced back to the essence of what it is to follow Jesus, when they start to ask, how can we bring this classic gospel, this classic living out of Jesus, and interface with culture? What's God saying, holding close to Christ, that these incredible moments of renewal begin? I think we're just at one point behind that. And I think cultures like, like Northern Ireland, which can see itself as marginal, where the world's heading, can play in a tremendous part, not just for Northern Ireland, but even for the broader West at a time like this. Wow. I mean, that's exciting. Are you, what's your kind of personal sense around all this? Are you, are you excited for where we're at? Are you concerned in any way? What's your, what's your sense? I'm excited. 
Because when things get this bad, there's going to be a turnaround. When things get this, this low, when there's disillusionment, like the secular life no longer looks as alluring as it did 10 years ago, uh, that people are struggling to know where to put their hope, that pleasure, an endless run towards pleasure, ultimately gets exhausting. And those elements of cultural exhaustion are the doorways to the human heart. Christ is always faithful. He always is willing to offer himself as a resource to turn things around. We just have to cry out to him and contend. And I think we're about to approach one of those moments. In a moment, John Mark and I are going to start to unpack some of this stuff um, on a bit, of, I guess, a bit more of a personal level, thinking around apprenticeship to Jesus. Is there anything you want to talk around in that just as we bring this to a close? Yeah. Oh, look, you're about to be introduced to one of my favorite people and, and such a good friend in John Mark. And there's all the friendship stuff I love about John Mark. But I think what John Mark has done and shown and, and is a witness to me is that living out this renewal begins with individual renewal. That Martin Lloyd-Jones in that book said that revival is a bunch of people being individually renewed with the spirit washing over them, just a lot happening at once. So that's got to happen individually. And so I think John Mark's way that he's done that in a city like Portland, taking the practices, but then also the renewing of the spirit, that's powerful. So I think you're in for a treat and I think you're in for the beginning of a renewal. Amazing. Mark, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks for listening. We'd love to invite you to join us in Belfast on the 10th to the 11th of May, 2019, when we'll be joined by Tim Chaddock. He's a church planter and lead pastor of Reality London. You can find out more and book your place at fabricconference.com.